Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute. I always say to parents before they become parents, I always say to young couples, don't get pregnant if you're not ready to have a disabled child. We are not unnatural. We are not an anomaly. We are one-fifth of the population. And people need to not fear us. What's the first thing that you say when you see someone who's pregnant? You say, inshallah, it's healthy. And of course, you do want them to be healthy. But being disabled is not the equivalent of being unhealthy. Most people want me to be cured far more than I want myself to be cured. Having cerebral palsy is part of who I am. And shaking all the time burns a massive amount of calories. So it's not as bad as you think. Also, at some point, every single one of you in this room has dreamt of being disabled. Oh, yes, you have. Come on a journey with me. It's aid. You're driving around. You're looking for parking. And what do you see? A hundred empty handicap spaces. And you're like, God, can I just be a little disabled? <laughs> By the way, um, I, I found a place in Abu Dhabi that can heal me. Have you guys seen this leaning, leaning tower? You know about the Leaning Tower? I think it's like a Hyatt Hotel. It's Mayan Mail. It's like really leaning, and I went into it, and I was straight. <laughs> Wallah, if I live there, I'll be healed. Um, but as I said, I have 99 problems, and palsy is just one. And the other universal issue is being a woman. First of all, we in the Arab world, as women, need to start showing solidarity. Those of us who don't cover our hair, judge those of us who do cover our hair. Those of us who do cover our hair, sometimes judge those of us who don't cover our hair. So I have two suggestions. Number one, mind your own dean. You understand? That means don't come and haram police me. Pay attention to your own religion, worry about your own salvation, and I'll worry about mine. To be honest, I have a one-way ticket to heaven. In Islam, we believe that if you help disabled people, you get points. They're called hasanat. I help disabled people every single day. I brush my teeth, I brush my hair, I get dressed. I'm going to heaven, people. Have you guys heard about the Haram police? The Haram police exist on Facebook. The Haram police are people who police your Facebook posts and come on to tell you that you are going to hell. I happen to love Christmas. I'm a Christmas-loving Muslim. I have to. I'm Palestinian, and as we discussed, Jesus is from Palestine, much like me. And so I, I wrote on Facebook about how excited I was about Christmas. And this woman named Fatma came on my page and she said, Maysoon, I love you very much. I believe this is Fatma's accent, but she could be from Peru, who knows? <laughs> and she said, 
But the skirmishing, the skirmishing that you insist on doing is going to make you go straight to hell. And I was like, but Fatma, you know, Jesus is a prophet in Islam. And like I'm clear about who his father is or isn't, depending on your faith, you know. So I don't really think I'm going to hell for getting a couple of gifts. And she was like, Mason, this is not funny. You must stop Kermisen. And so I was like, listen, Fatma, let's change the subject just for a second. How's your husband's liquor store doing? <laughs> and she said, without missing a beat, Alhamdulillah, we're so busy because of Christmas. <laughs> Violence against women is acceptable. It's excused. 25% of women worldwide, worldwide, regardless of if you're in America, South America, Africa, or the Middle East, 25% of women will experience violence in their lifetime. That number is tripled, tripled, if a person has a disability. People with disabilities face an enormous, enormous amount of violence. It has gotten so rampant that there is actually a day of mourning worldwide for people with disabilities who have been killed by their caretakers. And we are the only children whose murders are excused. When a woman or a man murders their disabled child, the news stories that follow say things like, she was at the end of her rope, they didn't have community support, or the one that horrifies me the most, that child is better off dead. We are not better off dead. We are better off being treated as equals. That means in your business place, you must employ people with disabilities. And you must make sure that not only are they employed, but that they have access to everything they need to do their job correctly. I am not a comedian because I have a disability. I'm a comedian who happens to have a disability. The talent exists, the knowledge exists, but the accessibility does not exist. It goes beyond having ramps. It's great to have a ramp, but if I have cerebral palsy and you put me on a ramp, I roll right down it. So what's accessible for one person is not necessarily accessible for another. Every single event you should do, and NYU, I'm not here to shame you, I'm just here to teach you. Every single event you, sh you do should have an interpreter at all times. You should have an interpreter for the deaf. The assumption is there are no deaf people in this room, but we do not know that. There could be someone who's hard of hearing, there could be someone who's deaf. You have the choice of having a sign language interpreter or having live captioning at every single event you do. If you create content online, if you create videos, YouTubes, anything online, always open caption it. The closed captions don't understand most people, so you have to open caption it so that, again, your work is accessible to, to everyone. If you're a builder, an architect, a person who creates space, make sure that the spaces that you create are designed accessibly and that it's not an afterthought and something that you think of later in the game when it's too late and too expensive. Make everything accessible, assuming one of two things, that someone with a disability may use it and that you may be disabled one day. 
I'm not going to say la samahallah because it's a 25% chance and we need to start being realistic about it and stop dealing with it as something we fear. And one of the best ways I think we can do that is by having more positive images of disability in media. We need more anchors on the news that are either blind or deaf or have some sort of disability. We need children's programming to include people with disabilities. Sesame Street has been on television for 40 years. This year was the first time they had a disabled Muppet. Her name is Julia and she has autism. Do you guys know who Dora the Explorer is? Clap if you know Dora. Oh, this is good. Here's my thought about Dora the Explorer. She has a friend named Swiper. Swiper is a fox who steals stuff. And then Dora says, Swiper, no swiping. What if we chop his arm off and make him an amputee so that kids aren't scared of people missing appendages? <laughs> the Arab world is horrified because that would actually happen to Swiper here. I understand. In America, it's a hell of a joke. But here you were like, yes. Swiper should definitely have his arms chopped off. I see. I'm going yeah, to put that one in my pocket. So being a Muslim woman is really interesting. And as I mentioned before, right now in America, um, we have an orange nightmare in, in charge of us. I, I have a bunch of names for him, but unfortunately, none of them are appropriate for this setting. So if you would like to hear me curse at him, please go online to maysoon.com, and you can hear all my special names. But as a result, what has happened is Muslims in America are facing a massive amount of bigotry, hate, and violence. And Muslims worldwide are on the forefront of violence from terrorism, violence from bigotry, violence from each other. But in America, my life has completely changed. Since July 15th of 2017, I have gotten death threats daily every single day because the idea that Muslims are not American, that we're terrorists, that we're performing something called taqiyah. Now, I didn't know what taqiyah was until I got accused of it. And I was like, taqiyah? I like a good hat. And <laughs> apparently, taqiyah is when Muslims pretend to be good and then they cut your head off. So I was like, I don't have that kind of coordination. But they didn't really listen to me. So right now, women who wear hijab in America are at the forefront of violence. I can walk down the street and they don't know that I'm Muslim. I mean, look at me. I could easily be the lost Kardashian. But my sisters in America who are brave enough to choose to wear hijab can't hide who they are, nor do they want to hide who they are. So I know that although we are equal, they are at the forefront of violence. And that's why I support anything a woman chooses to wear. The word that's most important in that sentence is choice. If you choose to wear a bikini, Bravo alich. If you choose to wear a burqa, I'm gonna clap for you too. Burqa to bikini, as long as it's your choice, I am with you. Let women control their bodies. Let women control their fate. And, my, and I remind you once again, mind your own dean.
Which brings me to Falastin. I grew up in the great state of New Jersey, and every single summer when my friends would go down the shore, my parents would send me to live in a war because they were afraid that if I didn't go to Falastin every single year, I would grow up to be Britney Spears and I would forget my roots. So every year my parents would send us back to, to Palestine. And um, I loved going back there as a child because it was wedding season. See, everyone from my village, Der Dewan, they all live in America. And every summer, they gather their children of marrying age, and they send them back to Palestine to get married. So the men are like 27, 28, 29. The women are like 18, 19. They put them in a circle, the men on the outside, the women on the inside. And they have them dance around to win Aramallah, win Aramallah. And wherever the circle stops, that's who you're marrying. <laughs> so my cousin Khalid the other day saw who was across from him, and he was like, oh, no way. And his dad was like, shoo, no way. This is your nasib. You have to marry her. And he was like, dad, I can't. And he was like, oh, yes, you can, and you gonna. And my cousin was like, she's my sister. So we had to reset the whole circle. Um, so when I turned 33, I decided to catch a husband. And I know this is shocking to a lot of people, because the myth is that people with disabilities are eternal happy sunshine babies, and that we never grow up, we never get married, we don't have thoughts, and we don't have emotions. This is not true. People with disabilities have every right to get married, and they have every right to have children. It is not your business to tell someone with a genetic disorder or any hereditary disability that they don't have a right to have children. This world is not better if we don't have people with Down syndrome or don't have little people or don't have people with any other disability. We exist and we add to this world. And just because it's not for you doesn't mean that they can't be great parents with great children. I happen to be very lucky in that my disability is not genetic, and a bonus, I can't have kids, so I don't have to deal with any of this. Instead, I have a cat, and her name is Beyonce, and we're going to talk about her shortly. So at the age of 33, I decided to catch a husband, because it was my Jesus year, and I either had to get married or martyred. And I decided that I would get married because I had been a bridesmaid 17 times. And I had spent $28,000 on my wedding. Uh, I had spent $28,000 being a bridesmaid. That's like 60,000 dirham. And I wanted to make my money back, right? So I needed to catch a husband. Not because I was desperate. If I could have married white, I would have married this guy named Mike. But my father said that if I didn't marry a Palestinian, he would throw himself off of a bridge. So I needed to find a Palestinian. And I couldn't do what my parents did because I am way too disabled to inbreed. This is the part of the conversation where I tell you, say no to cousin love. The number one cause of disability in the Arab world is cousins marrying. It was okay to marry your cousin when you had to ride a camel for six weeks to find someone you weren't related to. Now we have nasib.com. Fix yourselves. <laughs>
Now, I couldn't go on notsleep.com because typing's not my thing. So, you guys want to know where I, where I found my husband? Do you want to know where I found my husband? I went to Gaza. And the reason I went to Gaza is because they got no place to run. Yep. I framed my American passport in a big gold frame, and I walked through that refugee camp going, you want a visa, baby? And my husband was like, yeah. So I'm like, pack up your stuff, let's go. And he's like, I have no stuff. So I pack him up, I bring him back to America, I get to America, and I immediately have buyer's remorse. Because I remember him being taller and having two eyebrows. So I didn't want to hurt his feelings, so I went up to him and I was like, Habibi, in America we have two eyebrows. And he goes, you know when I'm going to have two eyebrows? I'm going to have two eyebrows when there will be two states. Yani no settlement freezing means no eyebrow tweezing. So I'm like, okay. So I just shaved it when he was asleep. Now he has one on one side. Um, <laughs> teaches you, listen to me. So on my wedding, I was really excited, be, not for what you think, Mosachim. Um, I was, yeah, I saw you, yellow shirt. I saw that. Um, I was really excited because when you're a bridesmaid 17 times and you're single, they make you catch a bouquet. And like catching is not my thing. So I would walk out on the dance floor and be like, it's not bad enough, I'm single, you have to throw stuff at me. So at my wedding, instead of throwing it backwards, I threw the flowers forward because even though I'm palsy, I'm not good at catching. I'm Palestinian, I'm really good at throwing stuff. <laughs> I took, out, I took out seven bridesmaids in one shot. I was like, yeah, and they were gone. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to marriage. Um, I have a really good marriage, say mashallah, because I know how to solve conflicts. And what I do is I lovingly look at my husband, who I call chef UG, because he's a refugee and a chef, so he's a chef UG. <laughs> And anytime we have a fight, I just, I look at him with like so much love and I say, do you want to go back? You want to go back to Gaza? There's no Dunkin' Donuts in Gaza. Um, where are my single people at? Clap, clap. Married people. Single. Married. Single. Married. Divorced. Always the happiest people in the room. Always. Um, we in the Middle East are obsessed with marriage and babies, and this has got to stop. Single people, listen to me. Marriage is a racket. Avoid it at all costs. Married people are just trying to suck you down into their hell. They have worked on this so hard that the LGBTQ community wants to get married so they can torture them too. <laughs> if you must get married, wait until after you're 27. Before the age of 27, your brain is squishy. You can't make a decision that big. Marriage is a life sentence, and you have to choose your cellmate wisely. <laughs> Number one, say no to cousin love. Number two, find an orphan. <laughs> the rest of them come with families, and you don't want that. But this is really important. 
We have been taught to fear being alone. And I know so many people that stay in violent, abusive relationships because that they believe that being married, being with someone is so much better than being alone that they allow themselves to be dehumanized and abused. It is far better to be alone and hang out with a cat than to spend day and night with a human being who makes you hate yourself. So don't let anyone in the world ever make you feel like you are less because you're not married or because you don't have children. If it's something that you want, great. And I know how hard it is in this society. So what I do is when people come up to me and ask me if, they, if I have kids, I show them a picture of my cat. They don't know what to do, and they walk away quietly. Um, but I made the mistake of marrying a non-orphan. Um, so my brother, my brother, what happened there? My, 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 I've been in the Arab world one day too long. Um, <laughs> Chef Uji is one of uh, six boys, and all five of his brothers have been shot, and all five have survived. They live in a refugee camp in Palestine. It's like, that's what happens. So all five have been shot, all five have survived. I picked the one that had never been shot because I knew that if I ever got really angry, he could run and save himself. So, unfortunately, I picked one that has a mother. And um, I feel really bad for her. I do, I do, I genuinely feel bad for her. I've been married for seven years, say mashallah. And uh, she has never been allowed to visit him in the United States. She's never been able to get a visa because they have her on a terror watch list because I put her there. <laughs> and it wasn't a false report because she terrorizes me. <laughs> when I got married, I explained to my mother-in-law that I, I can't have kids. If I get pregnant, I will drop dead. And I remember watching this movie where the character couldn't have kids and she tried to get pregnant and she said, I'd rather have a moment of joy than a lifetime of nothing. And I was like, I'll take the lifetime of nothing, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, lifetime. Um, so every time my mother-in-law calls, she asks the same question. Are you pregnant? Is there a bundle in your oven? And I always tell her, I say, I have clearly told you, if I get pregnant, I will drop dead. And her response is, oh, just try once. <laughs> Do not ask random people in the street if they are pregnant. Don't do it. This is a super bad habit in the Middle East. I, I was just in Palestine before I came to Abu Dhabi. People who shake my hand look at my stomach. And I have one of those bodies that could easily be five months pregnant year round every year since I was five. So they would look at my stomach and I'd be like, my eyes are up here. Don't ask people if they have kids. Don't ask people if they're pregnant. Unless you are possibly the mother or father, it is none of your goddamn business. <laughs> you don't know who you're talking to. We really do think it's okay. The first question I always get is, are you married? And when I say yes, they go, really? And then, after, then the very next question is, do you have kids? Number one, not your business. 
You do not know what any other human being goes through. Maybe this is someone who's been trying to get pregnant for 10 years and hasn't been able to. Maybe it's somebody who miscarried last night and you don't know it. Maybe they had a baby and that baby died. It is not your business whether people have children or not. It's time that you stop torturing women and treating them like cows and treat them like human beings. Unless it's yours, it's not your business. Which brings me to, yeah, I see you. Which brings me, by the way, when I'm done ranting and raving, we're going to have a Q&A. I'm then going to ignore everything you ask and continue to talk about whatever I feel like. <laughs> because I have a microphone and you don't. Jihad. Um, so, um, now we're going to talk about the internet. Um, I got my big break in television in 2010, and I was hired to be on this amazing, amazing new, new show on MSNBC called Countdown with Keith Olbermann. And when they hired me, they didn't know I had cerebral palsy. So I showed up at the studio, like big hair, don't care, and flopping eyelashes, completely inappropriate for the news. So I went in, and they... They put me on a spinning, rolling chair. So I looked at the producer, and I said, excuse me, can I have a more stable chair? And she looked at me and went, five, four, three, two, and we were doing it live. So I made my United States television debut sitting and spinning on a chair, desperately trying not to roll off screen. And I was livid because I had spent 10 years trying to prove that people with disabilities could do the same, if not better, job than their non-disabled counterparts. And I knew they would never invite me back. But not only did they invite me back, they made me a full-time contributor, and they taped down my chair. So when I got home, I did what any egomaniacal actress would do. I Googled myself, and I was horrified. People on the internet were playing a game of guess what's wrong with her. They were not used to seeing an image of disability, visible disability on television. The reason I use the term visible disability is because some disabilities are invisible. And the stigma, the fear, the hate, the non-acceptance of invisible disabilities is so prevalent that people are actually terrified to share their truth. Invisible disabilities is anything like chronic illness, uh, fibromyalgia, depression, mental health issues. You don't judge me because I limp. Why judge someone because their brain doesn't function properly? Why do we treat visible disabilities and mental health issues so differently? Why can't we accept that it's not a choice and that anything that happens in your body is not a shame? Why do we teach people to be afraid to take medicine? I personally shun medicine, but that's a whole nother story. But we shouldn't make people be ashamed of doing whatever they need to do to be the best they can be. So I went online, and people were guessing what was wrong with me. And I don't actually think anything's wrong with me. I think, like I've said several times in this talk, disability is a normal part of life. I mean, I'm Majnuna, but that's a whole different thing. 
So people were guessing what was wrong with me. And they said, it's Botox gone wrong. She's drunk. Those were the nice people. The not nice people were saying, she looks like an honor killing gone wrong. Or poor terrorist, we should probably pray for her. And I read what was online and I wondered, if I had grown up with social media, would I be on television? Or would the hate that I had sustained from the people around me make me go home and not go back on stage? And the next time they called me to be on TV, I thought of all the hate that I got. I thought of the people who called me fat. I thought of the people who said, her mouth is so annoying, I just want to pull it up. Or she's disgusting, I just can't take looking at her anymore. And I said, do I want to subject myself to that? Or do I just want to hang out with my cat, Beyonce? And what I decided was, I had to go back on TV. I had to go back on TV for all the people who didn't have the strength that I did. I had to go out there and be loud and proud because there is no shame in being disabled. And if you can't stand it, change the channel, change your life, and change your attitude because nothing's going to change me. The world is broken, but we can fix it. We can fix it by saying no to violence worldwide and saying no to violence against women. We can fix it by saying no to being an internet troll and no to raising an internet troll. We were taught that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, and that is simply not true. Never be the person who causes another human being to harm themselves. If you feel the need to go online to post hate, Google cats on glass tables. You will thank me. And finally, say no to being silenced. Your voice is your weapon against injustice. I beg you, use it. My name is Maysoon Zayed, and if I can can, Abu Dhabi, you can can. Thank you. Catherine Curry and I shaking, can can shaking a shaking hand. Now, now, now I have to tell the joke. Now I have no choice. Yeah. really quickly, and then we'll get into this these because people think I was you shook my hand. You? No, well, you were, but it's okay. That's what white people who are also brown do. It's a competition thing. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. Um, do you guys know who Yasser Arafat is? Okay, so if you don't know him, go look him up later. He's dead. Um, so I got to meet Yasser Arafat once, and I stood online, and I waited my turn, and I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, and it went like this, and then he stuck out his hand, and it went like this, so I was going like this. He was going like this. Security was going like this and like this. <laughs> And then and in the end, I, uh, I never got to shake his hand. This lahwas
Hi, Catherine. Hi, sweetie. It's Habibti in Abu Dhabi. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know that. Right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, this is a moment when you can try to ask Maysoon a question <laughs> and hope that you get an answer and not another question. <laughs> right? The answer is C. <laughs> what do you think? Anybody want to take a shot? Yes. There's a microphone coming. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much for coming all the way here to Abu Dhabi. I, I wanted to ask, uh, what, what do you speak at home? Do you speak in Arabic or English? Mostly I meow like a cat <laughs> because I spend a lot of time with Beyonce. Um, <laughs> I, so my parents raised us to only speak Arabic until we went to kindergarten. And then I learned English in kindergarten. And then I spoke mostly English. And then I really did marry a refugee. So I have no choice but to curse. I mean, speak in Arabic now. <laughs> yeah. But I don't really speak Arabic. I speak Falahi. Bahi b'chaf. Right. So, so yeah. you don't know how to read and write Arabic. Uh, I, know, I know how to read. I can't spell at all. And I don't know how to write at all. But I can read Arabic fluently. Yeah. Thank you, Facebook. Um, <laughs> what else? Who has a question? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be yeah, serious. It can be anything. Yellow. Oh, okay. his yellow shirt. I know. He was the wisak before, but it's okay. So just a disclaimer, I'm the one who sent you a message yesterday on Facebook. Oh the crazy my God, message. awesome. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I love that I picked on you. Now you're not scared to have a picture. Yeah. He sent me a message saying that he was afraid to take a picture of me because he doesn't know who's going to kill me first, the Mossad, the CIA, or my mom, and That's he doesn't want to get caught in the crossfire. <laughs> He should be writing for you. <laughs> um, so how do you manage to keep reinforcing your Palestinian identity in everything you do? It's, 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 it's incredible. People ask me all the time, like, what works against you the most? Is it being disabled? Is it being a woman? In Hollywood, it's being Palestinian. There is nothing more controversial in America than fighting for Palestinian equality. So... What keeps me loud and proud is I really am an equality junkie. I love equality. I'm about it regardless of gender. As I mentioned, orientation, which is like a risky topic wherever you go. But I grew up watching supremacy in action, watching Palestinians be denied equality simply because they followed a different faith. And it's just not something I can tolerate. So if I'm trading stardom for standing by Palestinians and being loud and proud and reinforcing day and night, that is not OK to massacre children in Gaza and call it self-defense when you're actually caging people. I, I can't. There's this amazing quote that I love. And it's, silence is acceptance. If you're silent about this issue, you accept this issue. If you accept this issue, you're complicit. 
I cannot accept Palestinians being treated as subhuman. I cannot accept inequality. And I cannot accept corruption. So not only do I tackle the supremacy, I also call out the Palestinian Authority day and night on their corruption because I won't give a pass to anyone who is committing an injustice in front of me. Also, like, I don't want people to get mad, but Palestinians are by far the hottest Arabs. Like, how can oh, I not be no, proud? No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know, the Lebanese think they are, but it's just because we, it's just because of Sabra and Shatila, it's really us still. I know, Jesus was born there, I know, I know, I know. And he looked like me, not like Jared Leto, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, what else? Another question? There's two, one in the back and then the shawl. Well, you don't need me, do you? I'm sorry, Habibi, you have a job. <laughs> Answer the next question, it'll be no, fine. Yeah, okay. But then, I, want you, we'll I want you to pretend to be me, so then let we'll me get even. the eyelashes. No, 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 sit down. Yes, yes. Yes, I just wanted to thank you for being here, uh, for sharing your personal story, for speaking to power. Uh, for speaking about social justice issues, and most importantly, for being so intimate with the audience about uh, the struggles that you faced. What I'd like to ask you, and this is quite personal, is how did you overcome so much? Thank I was you. so, thank you. I was so lucky. I was so lucky, and there's so many people who were not born the way I was. I had the most incredible parents you could imagine. And when I was first born, my uncle told my father, leave her under a tree and let the monkeys raise her. If people see her, her cousins will never get married. And it was always a joke in my family that my father never spoke to my uncle again. <laughs> and, um, and then the day of my wedding, he invited him just to mock him. It was very funny. Um, I had parents who taught me a couple of different things. One was never to be ashamed. I was taught never to be ashamed. I was taken to every wedding. I was taken to every meal. I was told that it was okay if while I was using a spoon, a couple of pieces of rice fell. It wasn't a big deal. And some people, like, they have a non-disabled child, and the child spills some milk or spills some cereal, and they yell at them, and they make them feel bad. My parents never made me feel bad about the things that I couldn't do. They taught me that I could, that I should try, and that if I couldn't, there was no shame in it. I was raised to be extremely proud. Also, I was raised one of four girls, and I cannot tell a lie. I think being in an all-woman family really empowered me because there was no competition. You know, people would come up to my mother and be like, And my father, on the other hand, raised us exactly the same way he would sons. Every single one of us had to go to college. He trusted us. And because he put so much trust in us, we respected that trust and didn't violate it. I think that when you suffocate and stifle children and are constantly telling them what they shouldn't do and what they can't do and what not to do, they go and do it. But when you teach them right and then you give them trust, they won't break that trust. So I had trust. I was taught self-esteem and pride. And I had something called privilege 
We cannot dismiss the fact that money cannot buy happiness, but it sure makes misery a lot more enjoyable. So I can afford to pay for yoga, and I can afford to have someone wash my hair. I can afford to have someone cook my food. I can afford to compensate for the things that I can't do. And it would be dishonest for me not to say that having privilege and having opportunity help me to get to where I am. Now, overcome is a really interesting word. I'll have cerebral palsy forever. There is no cure. I mean, sometimes when they dip me in the Dead Sea, I feel better for about a week, but it comes back. And it's not that I overcame it, it's that I accept it. And part of accepting it is very, very faith-based for me. I really do believe that all things from God are great. And I do believe that this is a gift and that when I was born and the doctor who delivered me was drunk and I, I became someone who had cerebral palsy, I do think that I was chosen to do this so that I could go across the world and change the way people view disabilities. When I do stand-up comedy in a place like, you know, Jordan or Cairo or even Abu Dhabi, a lot of people have never seen a functional disabled person. And I'm not angry. I'm not resentful about the fact that I have a disability. I believe it's part of who I am. I believe it's part of the power that I have. And like I said, I believe I have Hassanat. I'm going to heaven, so that's pretty good, too. <laughs> what else? Talk to me. Well, yes. there was the girl in the shawl first. Okay, good. And okay. then we'll do... First okay. you, and then this young woman, yes? And then finally the guy in the red hat. Okay. I'm sorry. Of I'm just, course, boss. I always feel bad. No. <laughs> like I want them to have a chance because Allahumma lam shubi sir bokraha wa trabbi habi nuclear war. Habi nuclear war. We're good. I have my family. Thank you so much for this wonderful talk and being here with us. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.